All right, thanks. Um, <clears throat> if you are new to the church online or in the room today, I'm Steve Keller. I'm the other pastor here at the church. It's really good to have you. And, and right now, as Donnie said, we're in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Acts, um, almost in the very middle of it. And uh, we have two very interesting passages of Scripture right now. Um, Morgan preached on one last week, and then I'm preaching on, on uh, the, the next one today, uh, which follows. And it's, it's really interesting and unique because these are two stories about two very different people in two very different places, having two very different ministry adventures, and yet they teach us one truth. Um, and the truth is about the heart of God, and it's about who God reaches and who God can use. Um, so last week, Morgan preached about Saul, uh, a.k.a. also known as uh, the Apostle Paul, who enters into Scripture, okay, comes into at the end of Acts 8, beginning of Acts 9, and he really is, uh, as he says later on in his writings, he is the worst of all sinners. Um, Paul wanders into Scripture as a really miserable person. Um, he is an arrogant Jewish blue blood from the tribe of Benjamin, which kind of sets his pace as he, as he moves through the beginning of his story. And it, it's not just kind of where he comes from and he's kind of, kind of filled with his own self-importance in regards to his family line, but he is a rigid, legalistic Pharisee. Um, and he is eaten up with so much religious hatred that he wants to wipe every trace of Jesus from the face of the earth. And that means wiping out every follower of Jesus Christ. He has made it his life mission to destroy Christianity. That's, that's who, who Saul begins at. He is a man, in other words, that we would all write off as a lost cause. We, we would look at, at Saul and say, there is one man who will never see the light. And of course, that's exactly what happens to him, isn't it, right? He's out doing his thing, and suddenly Jesus Christ shows up in, in the middle of his journey on the Damascus Road, and Jesus confronts him about his life. He points out that, that this road Saul is walking on, it has a dead end. And so Jesus confronts him. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. He saves Saul's miserable hide. And then he sends him back to serve and to minister to the very people that he's trying to exterminate. So suddenly Paul is now caught up promoting and championing the very cause he, he was going to stop. And as Morgan rightly said last week, Paul is living proof that God can use anyone. There's just no one out there who is unusable or useless or all used up when Jesus comes calling. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get going with today's passage. Father, we thank you for your heart. And God, so often um, as people, it, it is almost impossible for us outside of Jesus to fathom the size of your heart, the love that you have for people, that um, God, you have the ability to watch every highlight reel. You know every thought. You, you see every step of a person's journey. Um, the darkness of sin, you understand that even better than we do. And yet you come calling, you come saving, you come changing lives. And Father, we want to be a part of that story. God, not just that it would happen to us, but that it would happen through us. So, 
Lord, just reorient our hearts, our minds, um, our whole lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, Morgan ended last week uh, about, uh, right around Acts 9.31, and he pointed out one thing real quick, and it, it's important here, and it's that at the end of years of persecution, which is what happens from kind of Acts 3 all the way to, to up into Acts, Acts 8, kind of the end of that, um, lots of persecution, but after years of this, the church finally enters into a time of peace. And now suddenly, as we switch to this time of peace, we, we quickly move away from the story of Paul, which is a growing story. There's a whole lot more to come with Paul, but we switch away from him now, and we go back to the ministry adventures of Peter. Y'all didn't forget about Peter, did you, right? We left him for a minute, but he's still there. So Peter's out there, we discover, in uh, 932 through 43, and he's doing ministry everywhere. And the ministry that Peter is doing is very Jesus-like, okay? Now, we'll define Jesus-like here. Uh, he, for one, he, he comes up to a paralyzed man named Aeneas one day, and he says to him, uh, Peter's filled with the Spirit, he says to him, Jesus heals you, okay? Great phrase, well, what happens? Aeneas gets up, and he begins to walk around. Folks, it's an absolute miracle, it reminds us of what we've seen Jesus doing. Well, then Peter goes on from there, uh, and, and he runs into a woman named Tabitha. Uh, Tabitha also has a Greek name, and that Greek name is Dorcas. I usually wait for laughter there because people make a connection. It doesn't translate well. We all know that. It has nothing to do with any American words of dork or anything like that. But, but he, he meets this woman, Tabitha, and Tabitha is a Christ follower. And we discover here in, in Acts 9 that she's been very faithful, serving the Lord. I mean, she is a bright, shining light for Jesus, but suddenly, out of nowhere, she dies. And she stays dead until Peter prays for her, and she comes back to life. Look at the ministry of Peter. Look at what this man is doing. It's awesome, right? It's a phenomenal time in Scripture, and it's all wonderful and going along very well until we reach Acts chapter 10. Now, it's easy to miss this, but Acts chapter 10 presents us with a gigantic problem in the ancient Near Eastern world when we run into this man named Cornelius, okay? Uh, Cornelius, we quickly discover, is a gulp. He is a Roman centurion for crying out loud, okay? You talk about a Gentile, this man is a Gentile. Now, just to kind of frame Cornelius here, he is a commander of a hundred soldiers. Again, he's working for Rome, the institution, the people group, the nation that is oppressing Israel. They're oppressing most of the known world at that time. We've all heard stories about the Greeks or read about them in history. I mean, there are people who come in and they cause a whole lot of trouble. Uh, for, they just subjugate people. And so Cornelius is one of them, those guys, you know? Put a black hat on him. Start the rotten theme music from the Westerns. He's, he's not a good guy on the surface, He's a prestigious man. He's a powerful man. He's considerably wealthy. So he's got the means to kind of do what he wants to do and the authority to do it. And he really is an enforcer for Rome. So like Paul, Cornelius is a man we would look at 
first glance, and we'd write him off in a second. And we'd say, there, there is no way a man like this is going to do anything but get in the way of the faith. There's no way this man is ever going to join the cause of Christ. Avoid him. Write him off. You know? And yet, Acts 10, verse 2 and verse 22, blow the stereotype out of the water when we read this, that Cornelius, despite being a Roman, despite being all those other things, he was devout. He was God-fearing. He gave generously to the needy, and he prayed to God regularly. And he was righteous and well-respected by all the Jewish people. And you can just see people reading this for the first time, understanding the context, their mouths just hitting the floor, their jaws dropping wide open. Because Cornelius proves that you just can't judge a book by its cover. Even if the cover is all wrapped up in Roman leather with a sword hanging on its side, you just can't size somebody up at a glance and know their heart and know their mind and know their life. Now, having said that, there's something very important for, for us to note here because this is a mistake we can make uh, these days when we see a person out there who's not a part of the faith doesn't know Jesus Christ, but they're really moral. They're really good. They're an upstanding citizen. They help other people. The mistake we can, we can make is we can confuse a person's goodness with salvation. And at this point of the story, we can't do that with Cornelius. We can't look at him and say, look at what a great duty is. Check out all these good works. Um, he, he, we can't confuse that with salvation at this moment. The fact that he's generous the fact that he's well-respected, um, that he's spiritually seeking, that does not save Cornelius. It doesn't. Salvation, as Scripture says, is found in only one name, and only one person. It's found in Christ, and Christ alone. So, despite all the good stuff, the really good start for Cornelius, he still needs Jesus Christ. And we see that as, as it plays out, because next an angel visits him and basically says, good start, Cornelius. God hears your prayers. Now it's time for the next step. Send for a man named Peter. All right, all well and good, all awesome. But then we hit a great big pothole in verse 9. And the pothole, the problem here, happens to be this man named Peter. Because Peter is not about to go and share anything with Cornelius. There are men on their way to ask Peter to come to his house. Peter will say no when they show up. He, he's not going to enter this house. He's not going to be a part of anything that has to do with him, and there is a reason. And the reason is that even though Peter is a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple, and an apostle, Peter is still something else in his bones he is still Jewish. His roots are Jewish. His lineage is Jewish. His moral upbringing, the rules of his life still by and large are Jewish. And to Jews at this point in scriptures, the Gentiles were all known as something, okay? There was a collective name, a nickname that all the Jews had for all the Gentiles. And that collective name is dogs. They considered the Gentiles as a race, especially Roman Gentiles, they were dogs. And a Jew during that time would not speak 
to a Gentile, especially a Roman one. They wouldn't associate with them, and there is no way that they would ever go in their house. And so that's where Peter is. He's not going anywhere near this dude when, when these envoys or these ambassadors come to invite him over. And so God now has to intervene <laughs> and send Peter a vision. Peter has got to have a great big moment in his life to be able to say yes to this invitation. And here's what's really cool, okay? God is working in two places by his Holy Spirit. Isn't it neat? He's working on Cornelius all the way over here, and he's working on Peter at the same time. So here now is Peter's vision. Imagine if you saw this. Chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. About noon the following day, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kind of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter answered. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So this is a vision, okay? Don't miss the emotion here, okay? How Peter's feeling. This is a vision that literally turns Peter's stomach, okay? As God lays out a buffet, okay? And you think about a buffet. Think about what you enjoy on a buffet. Well, on this buffet table, um, the food is not only unkosher, right? That'd be a problem for Peter, be, being of Jewish descent, but it's gross, the food on this buffet table is gross. The, these are living creatures, okay? So it's not like four-footed creature means, well, you know, th there's some sirloin steak cut up. In, uh, no, these things are living. And it is, it's not just, you know, furry and alive, but there are also reptiles on the table. You know, thank God they didn't identify those. You know, salamanders, snakes, newts, I don't know, and birds. Nevertheless, God says, with this spread out before Peter, it's dinner time, Pete. Kill and eat. And, and don't miss the fact that Peter is talking to the Lord here, right? No, Lord. And he begins to lecture the Lord and teach the Lord. No, Lord, all of this is unclean. I would never eat anything impure and unclean. And God answers him back, don't you dare call anything impure that I've made holy, that I have made clean. And this happens three times. It, it's like Moses and God, you know, on the mountain. There's an exchange here going back and forth. And then the vision ends. And Peter is left scratching his head. What in the world does this mean? I mean, how do I make any sense out of that? But And as he's wondering about it, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter. Peter, there are three men here to see you. Go down and see them at once. And so Peter goes down. He meets the men, and, and the men say, we're looking for you, Peter. We've been sent for a man called Peter. And then they share Cornelius' backstory. We're here on behalf of Cornelius. And here's who Cornelius is. And the light goes on for Peter. I get it. I get the vision now. I understand what it means. God is inviting me into a holy moment with a Gentile. 
And if I don't get over my prejudice, I'm going to miss it entirely. In other words, if God doesn't consider Cornelius unreachable, then I can't. And so Peter goes with him, takes about two days to get there. And when he gets there, he shares the good news of salvation. And what's so neat about Cornelius, we see a little bit of his heart, is it's not just Cornelius in the room. He's invited friends, family, folks who work for him. He, he has gathered everybody he can find to hear the story. And, and Peter lays it out. He shares who Jesus Christ is. He, he tells them that everyone who believes in Christ receives forgiveness through his name. And then, as Peter is speaking, the unthinkable happens. The Holy Spirit falls upon everyone hearing these words. And a very astonished Peter now says this in verse 47. Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. Why? Because they have received the Holy Spirit just like we have. In other words, as Peter is preaching to them, they're leaning in. They're saying yes. They're nodding. Belief is happening. And the proof of that for Peter, just so he knows, the Holy Spirit falls on them and, and, and Peter understands. And then the story ends in chapter 11 as Peter goes back to the, the church, and we have even an interesting moment there as Peter shares his story with the church leaders. And the church leader's reaction is, you, you did what? You just talked to who? And so Peter explains everything that's happened to them, and he ends the story saying this, God gave them the same gift of salvation and the fullness of the Spirit that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus. And you can just hear for a second the crickets chirping in the room and the church leaders looking at one another in their moment of decision, and then they erupt in praise. And together they say, wow, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? Do you see God's heart in the story? You know, going back to, to Morgan's statement last week, and now, by the way, he, a brilliant sermon he preached, I thought, but he made this statement, and the statement was, God can use anyone. And I just want to add one thing to that statement, and what I want to add to it is this, God can also reach anyone. There is no one in our world, there's no one in our lives that is beyond God's reach. There's no one who's too sinful or to anything for God to reach them. You know, one time I was, uh, we were in, with NASCAR, we were at Dover uh, Motor Speedway, and uh, we were doing a chapel service, and it was, uh, it was an outdoor service, and it was kind of a neat one. You know, we had gathered some kids together, and we did like an impromptu kids choir, nothing like you guys, or, uh, but anyway, they sang, and we had a, a, a worship leader, and I got up to preach, you know, probably about 15, 20 minutes. You had to keep it short there. And so, so I start to preach, and this guy walks up, and he leans against the tent pole, and he's just watching. You can tell he's, he's just wondering what's going on over here. So he, he leans up, and um, this guy is, to be as kind as I can, can be, he is rough looking, okay? This dude looks rough. He looks like a tattooed grizzly bear in a Budweiser shirt. 
And he is just glaring at me. He's just a snarl on his face. And so I I see this dude, and it's funny because, you know, you can preach and think things at the same time. You know, you develop that talent. And I'm thinking, um, I'm just thinking, man, this guy looks like he either just killed somebody or he's getting ready to kill somebody. So in, in my heart, I'm going, security, security, eyes on this dude. So anyway, we go through the service. We, you know, it, it all ends. I'm kind of packing up. And I notice the guy to the corner of my eye. And he's, now he's leaning over on a chain link fence about another 15 feet away. And somebody at that moment walks up to me and said, hey, um, that dude over there wants to talk to you. And I'm like, great, great. So I'm walking over to this guy, I'm praying for protection, I'm thinking about, you know, just keeping distance, where are the exits? And I get up to him, and he's looking down, and he whips his head up at me, and he's got tears pouring down his face. And he says to me, can you just please talk to me for a few more minutes about Jesus? And I'm like, I mean, I am so humbled and cut to the heart. So I share with him about Christ, you know, the resurrection, the, the tomb, just all of it, new life. And um, about, about 15 minutes later, he accepts Jesus Christ. This beautiful moment. Gives me this great big, actually quite stinky hug. And uh, yeah, I smelled like a brewery after he hugged me. And, so, and he walks off, and I don't see him again for the rest of the weekend. Well, you know, NASCAR makes a circuit. So a year later, we come back, and we're at the same race. And this dude comes walking up to me. And I'm like, I know I've seen him before. And he goes, do you remember me? And I'm like, I don't, because his countenance has changed. I mean, there's a joy, there's just, you know, I mean, yeah, he was dressed a little better and all, but it's just, he's completely different. He said, I'm the guy we pray, you prayed for last year. And I just wanted you to know, I'm in Bible college now, and I'm going into ministry. My whole life has changed. I even got married, and he's just filled with joy. I cannot tell you how many times that has happened in my life and my ministry where I get somebody all figured out like that, and I'm dead wrong in the end. I'm just dead wrong. Why? Because God is at work, loving, reaching, changing lives, and he wants to draw us into that action. I want to end today with with just a very simple and challenging couple of questions for us to think about. Um, In light of Cornelius, okay, Acts 10 and part of 11 here, who is a man, Peter, will never approach with the gospel in the beginning, but a man who's actually hungry for God and is seeking God. And when Jesus shows up in Peter, he falls like a stack of dominoes for Jesus. It made me stop as I read through this, and I had a completely different ending for the sermon, but I couldn't get away from these questions I had. And the questions for me are the ones I want to give to you. Who's Cornelius in your life? Who are the Corneliuses around you, folks? We all have these people. Who are the ones that they're they're just impossible? There's no way they're ever going to be reached. Who are the ones that we judge at a glance as a lost cause? Um, Maybe we look at their politics. We look at their lifestyle. We look at their sinfulness and we go, nope, no way. Maybe, maybe we've even tried though, you know, maybe we've even prayed for them for a while, you know, but days turned into weeks, turned into months, turned into years, and we just threw our hands up and we just said, forget it. People like that in our lives, that that is why a passage like Cornelius' story is so helpful to us, to just see this redemption story, to to be able to look beyond the curtain, 
And then also to realize with Cornelius, his story is actually set in a much bigger redemption story. You know, you know uh, what the bigger one is? It's ours. You know, there's a bigger story about a whole group of people called humans, a hopeless group of notorious sinners all the way from the beginning. I mean, this group of people, this humanity, they're so bad and they're so sinful that they kill the very God who comes to save them. That's the story of humanity. But what does God do? It doesn't stop him, you know? That, that, that doesn't stop the cross. It doesn't stop the resurrection. It doesn't stop new life. It doesn't stop the church because that is the heart of God. And now because of what Jesus has done, right? We, we, we have John 1.12, a, a little scripture that's easy to miss, but it's so powerful. And it says this, yet to all, Okay, now here's, what, here's who all is. All means every sinner. To every single sinner out there who receives him, who receives Jesus Christ. To those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That is the good news of Jesus Christ for every person on this planet. So here's what I want to leave us with today. One final thought. And this is another one I've really been wrestling with myself uh, it's kind of radical, it's very challenging, and it's this. Sometimes what stands in the way of people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is not just their sin. It's that sometimes the church or Christians give up on them. It's that sometimes what happens in the church, and, and this could happen these days if we let it, is that we walk away from the one purpose that Christ gave us on planet earth, which is not only to know him ourselves, but to make Jesus known, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with this generation. Let me share one scripture with you. This is another one I've just been marinating in this week. I've been letting it reflect back to me like a mirror. Romans 10, 13 and 14, and I'll end with this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, our glorious Holy Spirit, may we, your church, and we can only answer for ourselves in this room, may we never forget why we are here. May we, we never forget what happened in our lives to get us here into this place of life and newness. Father, may we, may we never forget what we are called to be about, making Christ known and knowing Christ fully ourselves. Father God, we love you, we honor you. Thank you for this beautiful story of Cornelius. In Jesus' name, amen.